the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Awareness of sin in your life doesn't mean that you aren't a Christian, but what you do with that awareness of sin does indicate whether you're a Christian or not. True believers hate their sin and they confess it. They don't want to continue in it. Unbelievers don't. Sin is a universal problem. We all do it, some more than others. And some of us hate the sin in our lives, or as many just hate the repercussions of their sin. Whether or not we sin is not a valid test of our faith. But how we respond when we sin is one of the ways we can know if we are genuinely saved. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been serving as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We have been spending the past several weeks in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Spiritual warfare is our topic, specifically the armor of God. Today, Pastor Steve will continue our examination of the helmet of salvation. One area where Satan loves to attack Christ followers is in their assurance of their salvation. Especially when we have sinned, we may start to wonder if we are among those people Jesus said will have called him Lord, Lord, and he will say that he never knew them. When Satan attacks us there, that's when we need to put on the helmet of salvation. In fact, no one should ever have to wonder if they are saved. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us how we can put on that wonderful helmet. Now, some of you may lack salvation's assurance. This may hit home. This may be an area that you've been struggling with for a long time, and perhaps the devil's method of attacking you is by suggesting, well, you were such a young child. What did you know back then? How do you know that you were really saved? Maybe you just pray to receive Christ because your friends did it, or your folks put pressure on you. You didn't really understand the gospel. Or maybe his method of attacking you is to bring doubt upon your salvation because you lack consistency in in your life. Or maybe it's because you lack a feeling of spirituality. You're waiting for some kind of emotional buzz and you don't have that. So you think that you're not saved. You think that all believers have this incredible feeling and you don't have it. So what protection does God offer true believers who are tempted to doubt their salvation? Well, he gives us a helmet that protects our minds from doubts by telling us, and here's the helmet, he tells us the truth about biblical assurance. There are a lot of flaky things out there about assurance. He tells us the truth. In other words, he gives us assurance that we're saved based on what the Bible teaches. See, one of the great truths of of Scripture is that you can know that you're saved. It's not a guessing game. You don't have to wait till you die to know if you made it. You can know that. And this is so important. Oftentimes we witness to people and we evangelize and we say, do you know for certain? And they'll say, well, I don't think anybody can know. 
Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Let's look at that. First John chapter five. You might want to mark first John off because later we're going to come back to it. But first John chapter five, a very important verse in scripture is verse 13. John, writing to believers, I might add, says this, these things I have written to you. Now, he's written a whole book around what he's about to tell us. The whole book is centered around this truth. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, who's writing to Christians, so that, here's the purpose of 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what John said. You may know it. You may know it now that you have eternal life. I, I don't know how much clearer the Bible could make it. In fact, it's not only in 1 John. Many Christians know that, but they're not aware of 2 Peter chapter 1. In verse 10, where Peter tells us, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. You can make certain that you're one of his elect. And we're going to look at that this morning, but I just want you to know that scripture teaches that. You can know that you're saved. But before we look at that, before we we look at how do you know that you're really saved, I, I really feel I would be remiss if I failed to tell you that some people should question the validity of their salvation. Some people are not saved, and they think they are. In fact, after the first service, uh, a couple came up to me and and just said how much this was true in in their lives and how they know of other people who really need to hear this, that there are people they know and people I know, people you know, who think they're saved, and they're not. These are the folks who should doubt their salvation. And we don't ever want to be guilty of helping people to have false assurance. And I'm afraid in this evangelical climate of making people feel good, we tend to do that. What is false assurance? Let me explain. False assurance is when we think that we're saved when we aren't. And we encourage people to think they're saved when they're not. Jesus would have none of that. In fact, our Lord spoke against people like this in Matthew chapter 7. Let's look there. Matthew chapter 7. See, the worst thing you can do is tell somebody that they're saved when they're not saved. That's the worst thing. That's not a harsh thing. That's a loving thing to do. You don't want somebody going through life thinking they know Christ and they die and they go to hell. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, uh, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What a sobering passage. These people were actually involved in some type of ministry. Do you see that? They had some some ministry of, of preaching. They prophesied. They had some type of ministry of casting out demons and performing miracles that ought to tell you about those today who say they do that all the time. Jesus said they're not even saved. These people at least were not. So don't think that's the authenticity of someone who's saved. These people were involved in some type of ministry, but Jesus said they, that he never knew them, which, which certainly doesn't mean that he didn't know about them. It means that he never had any kind of intimate relationship with them. He never knew them in, in a relationship type of way. There was no spiritual intimacy. He said that they practiced lawlessness, which means that their lives were, were characterized by constant and lifestyle disobedience. There was no obedience in their lives. There may have been outward service, but service is not the same thing as obedience. 
The Pharisees thought they were serving God. When the apostle Paul, known as Saul of Tarsus, killed Christians and brought them to prison, he thought he was serving God. So Jesus said these people were characterized by constant and lifestyle disobedience in spite of their spiritually oriented activities. So we want to learn from this and we want to be careful that we don't encourage anyone to have false assurance. Now, where might we do this? May I say this warning to you who are parents, especially mothers who have to be very cautious and careful that they don't tell their children that, oh, I know that you were saved because I was there. You prayed. Yes, when you were young, you prayed and you were baptized, but that person has grown up and has no connection with obedience. No connection with obedience, but here's mom or dad saying, no, 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 for sure, you were saved. You have an evident salvation for 25 years, but I know you were saved. See, that's, that's wrong. You're hurting that person. You're hurting that child. We don't know anyone's heart, and I think the danger, and I think the reason parents want to do this is that it's almost wishful thinking. They w- certainly want their child to be saved, But be careful that it's not motivated. You're not motivated by sinful pride. Because, well, how could it be that someone raised in my home doesn't know the Lord? That reflects on me as a parent. There's there's something far more important here than your pride. Talking about a soul salvation. So be very careful about that. We don't know anyone else's heart, and therefore we can't know for sure anyone else's salvation. But we can know for sure if we've been saved. Because the Bible offers us full, salva- full salvation as well as assurance. I would add also, be careful if you're a counselor. Don't counsel people. Oh, sure you're saved. I know you. You don't know if somebody else is saved. You can know if you're saved, but you don't know anybody else's heart. So how can we know if we're saved? Well, the Bible addresses assurance of salvation along two lines. Two lines. First of all, biblical assurance is grounded in the objective finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. In other words, the basis for your salvation is the atonement of Christ and the promises that God gives to us concerning salvation. That's objective truth. God has said it and that settles it. Such promises as John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, and that word belief means trust in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Another great promise, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Talking about calling upon him to save you. John six thirty seven. I love this. Jesus said, he who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. In the Greek language, that's very strong language. It means I will in no way ever, ever cast you out. It's emphatic. So if you're struggling with doubts about salvation, what you want to do is not turn to your rational thinking. You'll, you'll, that's a maze you'll never get out of. You want to turn to the promises of God and trust them regardless of how you feel. God said it and that settles it. You count on them rather than your emotions. Years ago, I heard the story of a dear old saint who, when dying, was visited by her pastor. And her pastor, at her bedside, asked if she was trusting in Christ's atonement for her salvation. And she replied, yes, she was. He was her confidence. She was trusting in him. Then her pastor asked this question. He said, but what if you die and God doesn't let you into heaven? Well, she said, if that happens, 
then God will lose far more than I will because I will only lose my soul, but he will lose his integrity. See, folks, that's trust. That's trust in God's character. You have his word for it, that if you've come to him, he'll never cast you away. If you've come trusting him, you are one of his. You want to let God's word settle your assurance struggles. That's, that's what does it. Jesus said in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Assurance comes when you trust and rest in God's objective and unchanging promises. But there is a second aspect to assurance, and it's a very important one. It is a subjective ground for assurance. The subjective side of assurance asks this question, how can I know that my faith is real? I think that's a valid, very, very significant question to ask. How do you know if you've really trusted Christ? How do you know that you don't have just mental agreement with with some facts? There are many people who mentally agree with the historicity of the gospel. If you go to Israel and you have a tour guide, it is uh, very, very common for the Israeli tour guides to be believers in the sense that they believe in the historical record of the Old as well as the New Testament. That doesn't mean they've ever been born again. So how do we know? How do we know that we've really come to faith? Because scripture says, you believe that that God is one, the demons also believe and they tremble. Listen, the demons have better theology than we do. They're more accurate. They don't obey it, but they're more accurate. They, They know the truth about God. But certainly they're not saved. So the answer to this question, how do I know if my faith is real? The answer to that is if your faith is real, you will evidence it by a changed life. There will be changes. There will be evidences in your life. You see, at salvation, God regenerated you. Regeneration simply means he gave you a new nature. We call it a new heart, but it's not a literal heart that pumps within you. It's a a new inner man. God gave you a new nature, and that new nature, the Bible calls in 2 Peter, a divine nature. That's regeneration. He has inwardly transformed you. Now, when you're inwardly transformed, there will be, not overnight, but you know, it's a lifelong process of continued growth, but there will be outward changes in not only your behavior, but your attitudes, your goals, your ambitions, your desires, That's why the Bible urges us, in fact, more than urges, it commands us to to test ourselves to see if we are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul tells us we are to give ourselves a test, an examination to see if we have truly been born again. Because those who have trusted Christ on the inside will evidence that on the outside. Jesus said, a good tree produces good fruit. Now, just as there are certain evidences that you are physically alive, such as breathing, you stop breathing, you're not alive. So there are certain evidences that reveal that you have spiritual life. And we want to look at three of them this morning. First John, I I told you we'll go back to first John about this, but um, there are many more evidences that John speaks of. But 1 John deals with three primary ones. And, and just as you're turning to 1 John, let me tell you the basis of this. I mentioned that in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, examine yourselves whether you be in 
the faith. But let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. This is very important. Paul says to the Corinthians who were at times quite carnal, not always obedient, he says to them in verse 5, he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? What Paul was talking about, the, the changes are a reflection of the character of Christ in us. It's, it's not just what you do, you know, like you go to church or you give your offering. It's, it's talking about desire. It's talking about a change of character. If Christ is in you, there will be a reflection, though imperfect and, and dim, but it, there will be a reflection of Christ's life in you and coming out of you. Now, Paul doesn't specifically in 2 Corinthians 13 tell us all that that entails, but 1 John does, and that's what we want to look at. We want to look at three evidences of salvation. If these three things are true in your life, then for sure you are a believer. If they're not, then for sure you need to become a believer. First of all, 1 John tells us true believers confess their sin. True believers confess their sin. We know this from 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. True believers know they're sinners. They, they know they're wicked sinners. Any, believe, any person who says, I don't have sin is not a believer. Why would you ever come to Christ for salvation if you don't think you're a sinner? He's a savior from sin. But it goes beyond that. Verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those who have come to know Christ know that they're sinners and they confess it. Confess means simply to agree with God. It means you don't justify your sin. You don't hide it. You don't blame others for it. You admit it. And with confession is implied repentance. It isn't that you just say, yes, I know that I'm lying. Yes, I know that I'm in, a, in an adulterous affair. Yes, I know that. I agree. No, it's, it's that, oh God, I can't do this. God, I can't, this is wrong. This is sinful. This is wicked. I turn from this. That's, that's all that's implied here. True believers, as I said, they are very much aware of their rebellion and their wicked and they abhor it and they confess it to God if you're a true believer you hate your sin and it isn't that at the end of the day you say God if I've sinned today it's not that at all it's that God where have I not sinned today that's more the attitude John Owens the John Owen the Puritan once wrote this a man then may have a deep sense of sin all of his days walk under the sense of it continually abhor himself for his ingratitude unbelief and rebellion against God without any impeachment of his assurance what he's saying is this is that just because there's a lot of sin in your life doesn't mean that you can't have biblical assurance quite the contrary An awareness of sin in your life doesn't mean that you aren't a Christian, but what you do with that awareness of sin does indicate whether you're a Christian or not. True believers hate their sin and they confess it. They don't want to continue in it. Unbelievers don't. Now, unbelievers may be annoyed at themselves for sinning because they get in trouble with it, but they're only looking at the consequences. It doesn't bother them that they have sinned privately against a holy God. Their only concern is being caught or consequences for their sin. If they were never caught, 
there were no consequences, they would be perfectly content. That's not the case of a true believer. When God changes your heart, you hate your sin. He puts his law within us. And not only do you have a conscience, but now you have a conscience that has come alive and the law of God is within you and you desire it. And when you don't do it, you hate it. So, so if you hate your sin and you confess it, then that's the mark of being a true believer. You couldn't possibly be regenerated and not have, have that mark. Secondly, true believers obey God's word. First John chapter two, verses three and four. I love this. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I mean, John is rather blunt. There, there's only black and white with John in first John, this epistle. And the apostle tells us that the way we can know if we have really come to know Christ is by the fact that we keep his commandments because true believers are obedient to scripture. And he's not talking about perfect obedience. He's just told us we're sinners, right? We confess our sins. So it'd be ridiculous for him to say that we, uh, we, we just, you know, don't sin and it's perfect obedience. No, but what he's talking about is a lifestyle. He's talking about a life that's characterized by obedience. In fact, the Greek word here for keep means uh, an eagerness, uh, a watchfulness, an observant, eager attitude of obedience. It's a desire to obey. It's an inward desire in which you are always watching to obey. I think that's far different than um, outward behavior that's just motivated by pressure. There are some people who are motivated by legalistic pressure to conform. They're raised in a home where you have to do this or you're in trouble or they go to a school where you have to do this and you're in trouble. That's not this type of obedience. This type of obedience is the obedience that is motivated by love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is the kind of obedience that when no one is around you and no one else is watching, you will honor the Lord. That's the obedience he's talking about. When you go away on a business trip and you're alone in your hotel, this is the kind of obedience that scripture's talking about. When you could do things and perhaps at the time get away with it, you don't because you're committed to obeying God's word. Do you have this attitude? If you have this attitude of wanting to obey God's word, if you welcome his lordship over every area of your life, even if you stumble at times, and who doesn't? We all do. But you welcome his lordship and authority over your life and that doesn't trouble you then you can know that you're a believer. That's precisely the point that John is making. Jesus said in John 8, 31, that true disciples continue in his word. We continue in his word. Not when it's convenient for us, but always. I mean, that's our lifestyle. That's the general direction of your life. And that's why I say, be very careful that you don't try to convince your your children that they are saved because they once prayed a prayer with you, but yet there's no evidence of a transformed, regenerated nature and heart. False profession, that's all it is. They still need conversion. As I said, don't let your pride get in the way. See things as God does. There is a third evidence of genuine salvation, but we are out of time for today. I hope you can be with us for the next verse-by-verse and the conclusion of this three-part message about the helmet of salvation. It has been a joy to have you with us in class today as pastor teacher Steve Kreloff gives us a detailed explanation of the armor of God that the Apostle Paul described in Ephesians chapter 6. 
Pastor Steve has been serving for over 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We at Verse by Verse Ministries count it a privilege to make his messages available to you through this radio station. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who are first faithful to their own church. You can order a CD or a cassette if you would like to hear this entire message. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. If you are an Internet user, we invite you to visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You will find today's program there, available for downloading, or you can listen online. We have many of our previous classes on the archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. Can a Christian somehow lose his or her salvation? The Bible makes adamant declarations that clearly answer all aspects of that question. Pastor Steve will share them with us on the next Verse by Verse as we continue to unpack and examine the armor of God. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We are here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.